to 64, a chess podcast. I am David coming at you, as always, from Copenhagen, Denmark. Live today uh, in the Zoom studio is Grandmaster Roman Edouard from France, currently in Barcelona. And uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, David. So um, you just played in the Bundesliga? Yes, yes. And just, uh, uh, which team do you play for in Bundesliga? I play, I play for Werder Bremen. You know, that was a create. I was in Germany a little while ago, and um, suddenly I got a, a text message from one of my friends who's a big, uh, like a football fan. And he sends me a picture of Bayern Munich, like their website, and they have like a chess department. And who do I see there? Like, you know, one of the people on the team is uh, someone who's on the show, Grandmaster Noel Studer. Uh, and it's just crazy that, like, the Bundesliga, it's like the, the Bundesliga teams that they actually feel like chess players. Like, it's so. No, actually, in Germany, also my club, for example, the sponsorship is related to the results of the football team. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think it's maybe it's usual there. I don't know. But do you wear, like, the Werder Bremen jersey when you play? Yes. Wow. <laughs> well, it's not the football one. It's a different one for but chess. It's still, yeah, but it's still the logo, right? Yeah. Yeah. But is it, it's not only Bundesliga teams like from the Bundesliga footballs, right? It's also like other teams, right? No, of course, it's a chess league. So it's yeah. not the 16 best uh, chess uh, football clubs. It's the 16 best uh, chess teams. So how did how did the league go? So the league went well. We We have an average team, but we did well. I mean, we beat one of the top teams in the league uh, by the smallest margin. We lost the other match by the smallest margin as well, but that was okay. And now you're uh, you're in Barcelona, and uh, like, um, so like, what's uh, what's a day in the life like for you? Well, actually, I, I start traveling a lot during COVID. It's been a little bit uh, different. But uh, I'm editor-in-chief of uh, Sinkers Publishing, that is a chess book publisher. So that takes a lot of my time when I'm home. I'm also recording videos. I'm writing books myself. Um, I'm obviously still working a little bit on my own chess. And, uh, well, trying to, trying to create different projects around, all around chess, but, uh, and to play from time to time, of course. Yeah, so um, I, I wanted to start uh, actually uh, this episode because you're a French chess player. And um, as you know, I'm sure, um, there's a certain guy from Iran who joined your federation recently. Um, and I yeah. wanted to kind of get like, I don't know how involved you are with the French chess federation, but I was kind of curious, like, like what's the, what was the, like the perspective of the federation when he, when he asked to join or like, what, what's the, what's it been like the past few months for the federation? Because I know also you guys played in the like you know Ali Reza had this incredible incredible performance in like was like European like club championship or national team championship something like that and uh, yeah it's crazy so well actually it's I mean of course it's a team result but it's Ali, Ali Reza who basically won all the games he scored eight out of nine on board one and actually the funny thing is that they finished second and only Ali Reza won the rating points in the team, but he won that many that it was almost enough for gold medal. France was very unlucky to finish second in the end. But I was not in the team. I was there, of course, I was uh, supporting them, but I was not uh, I was not uh, involved at all this year. Mm. Um, so Ali Reza, well, uh, actually, it's there has been uh, elections at the French Federation last year. 
And uh, it, the process started with people from the previous federation. The president, uh, the previous president was Bashar Kweti, uh, Bashar, Bashar, and um, and the mayor of uh, Ali Reza's uh, city were pushing a lot for Ali Reza to get uh, his nationality as fast as possible. So they probably got it a little bit quicker than uh, he should have. So thanks to that, he could play this year um, for the Federation, although now we have a new president, new Federation and so on. Um, so yeah, basically they were pushing and the big argument was that he would become, uh, he would be, well, I mean, they were, they were not saying he would be French number one because there was MVL and at the time MVL still had more uh, rating, but okay, they were saying that it would be a very big, uh, a very big thing for France to have uh, three roots up representat representing France at international events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it has been huge, I'm sure. Uh, and I don't know, I don't really know, like, uh, what I think he said he doesn't have plans to play in the Olympiad. Um, no, actually, this year, France will, I think it's not official yet, but I've been told that they're playing without. Uh, Ali Reza without MVL, without Baco. So this year they won't have a very strong team. Are you going to play? No. No? No. Well, you know, I I was in the, I was, I was in excellent terms with the previous federation. Uh, now I'm in normal terms with the new federation. Uh, but uh, let's say that uh, let's say that selection uh, to be or not to be in the team uh, depends a lot on uh, who is running the federation. And okay, there is a selection; they are free to pick whoever they want. So, well, it's not uh, it's not always fair. Uh, sometimes can be to your favor, sometimes not. Well, that's how it is in that's most federations, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I'm just an average club player. I wouldn't know what that's like. But uh, you know. I, I I shouldn't play in the team this year now. Normally, I mean, I lost I lost a lot of rating points last year. So to me, it was clear that I would not make the team. But when I heard that uh, the top three French players uh, uh, couldn't play, uh, then another one was another one became captain of the French women team. So I thought, well, I do have uh, quite fine chances. Uh, but in the end, it was close. But I didn't make it. To the team. Now another question: Because you're you're in Barcelona, uh, do you have any plans maybe to go to Madrid for the candidates? Uh, well, actually, I didn't have such a plan, but uh, I've been recently in touch with um, Immortal Game, which is a new chess playing platform um, where you're playing with NFTs. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's it's a completely new project. I mean, it's not even the official launch will actually be just after the candidates. Um, it's a very interesting project. Yeah, there will probably be a normal playing platform, but uh, for now the playing platform is a normal chess game. But you buy some uh, missions which are NFTs, which are well-designed PCs. And that can be that you have to win the game playing Long Castle, that you have to be the first to capture a bishop, that you should not move your H2 pawn, stuff like this. 
And well, it's it's a very fun project. There are already, already almost 50 grandmasters ambassadors of the project, and uh, and yeah, the, yeah, that, that that's quite fun. And are they going to be? You mentioned this with relation to Madrid. That uh, that's so no, the relation to so the relation to Madrid is that uh, they decided because the the many many ambassadors of a motor game will be will be in Madrid, so they're organizing there uh, one day. A sort of uh, cocktail for uh, all the all people involved in uh, immortal game, and also to meet some important chess people because they intend to become important in the chess world. So they're going there for one day, and uh, that's the reason why I'm going. Initially, I was not planning to go. I was planning to go right away on holiday uh, after the French league, which finishes uh, during Madrid. Oh, I see. I see. Are you so? Were you planning on following the candidates seriously while it was happening, or do you have any? I've asked this a couple of people already, but like, do you have any anyone you consider a favorite to win? Um, I think I think Karen I should be the favorite, but it's very difficult to say. I mean, Ali Reza depends very much how how much he will bear the stress of his first candidates' tournaments. Like, is it going to just? Uh, go and play like it's any tournament and then he will have i think he would have serious chances or will it be too difficult for him and nervously have i have no idea of course nepo can win again because he's not going to blunder every game like against magnus uh, that's not going to happen every time and okay he's one of these fearless players so he can also win of course dingley ran is also one of the favorites so it's very difficult to say but Kawana yeah. has a slight advantage, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think all the, I've virtually I've said this before, but I think virtually every matchup is is really compelling from a from a chess standpoint too. Like every every storyline against Magnus, if he chooses to play, would be would be interesting. Whether it's a Nepo rematch or a Caruana rematch or you know Car like Carlson Hikaru, of course, you know the the battle of the the Blitz people, the Blitz legends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know how serious uh, Magnus is when he claims that he's not going to play anymore because he's telling that all the time. But this time he really looks serious about it, so I'm really afraid that he will drop out. Um, that would be very unfortunate for chess, of course. Uh, I hope it's not going to happen, but okay, we will see. Yeah, it also it sets the stage for me to become world champion too. It's a little easier when he's not there. Marginally easier, you know. Well, but then the title is losing all of its value. That's the problem. Yeah, no, it, 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 I definitely, definitely agree. But I mean, you, I don't know if if it, if the prize fund was twenty million dollars, let's say, instead of two million dollars, does he still walk away? Probably not, right? No, like, no. Okay, then then he would play. But I don't think he cares about money. But if you put some incredible number, of course he will play. Yeah. I mean, this is this is kind of one of these things that I don't know. It kind of puts a whole shadow over the tournament in a way because, like, this is kind of something that everyone is going to have to kind of think about. That oh, you know, maybe maybe this is some psychological thing he's trying to do with the next person. That oh, I may win the candidates and not even play this this Norwegian dude in the end. That he may just say, ah, oh, this is too boring for me. Go play, go play the second place in the candidates for something. And like you said, I mean, the World Championship doesn't have the same. Prestige. I'm also it's surprising also that people on his team haven't really figured this out either. Like I'm sure he's told them whether what he's thinking, right? Like not okay. sure it's it's been so clear. Perhaps to Peter and Nielsen because 
they're really close to each other, but to his other seconds, I mean, for sure they know him more than you and me, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he knows himself actually. So I don't, I don't think he's. I'm not. I'm not sure that their second have a clear information about this. Also, it's unclear, you know, if you're. I mean, there were there were second last year, but uh, if there is another match next year, will there still be uh, Magnus second? This is unclear. I mean, this is not a job that you keep uh, all your life. So. Yeah, it's definitely very difficult to say. Something a little easier to, to talk about. So another thing I wanted to ask you, because I saw, well, you know, when, when I first DM'd you about this, you were in St. Louis. It's my mistake. I thought that you were living in St. Louis because um, I, I had caught you on one or two of the, I think it was a St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Chess Club has a Twitch channel where, you know, you're doing like different stuff. Yeah. Like yeah, because, you know, the St. Louis Chess Club always has a resident uh, grandmaster um for people who want a chess lesson and for kids to have a, a class every every even every evening um to give uh, to give lessons during weekends to give to give assignment online every saturday they always have somebody on site so usually the big american people because it's easier they don't have to handle uh, the travel and so on but okay i mean good relation with the chess club they always will they always uh, welcome me welcome me um like i'm home you know so this wasn't your first time doing it no it was not well doing this job yes but i've been in st louis before commentating right. Manchester events and so on and uh okay they're very nice people so when they told me about this uh resident gm job i thought okay why not to go for a few weeks and uh, and see and i had a very good time what's your opinion you know st louis in the last you know two decades has really become like one of the chess capitals of the world i'm just wondering like like what's your what's your thoughts about st louis as a chess city overall no of course definitely well i mean it's it's almost like there is no american federation there is just st louis actually if you remove st louis uh from from there uh there is nothing happening in america uh, nearly nothing so actually i mean now they're organizing everything i mean the american championship american women championship american junior championship american senior championship and all all of these other private events and commentating on all conscious tours that are just doing everything in america so actually it's become more important than a, a world a world federation yeah i definitely you know as an american chess player i can i can even speak to that that it, it does feel like you know i'm from new york city and it's kind of like new york city i'm sure you've been to the marshall chess club but aside from there there isn't really like a organized chess scene in new york city which is a city of like eight million people like obviously there are the hustlers and there's people always playing everywhere but you would think that a place that big would have something a little more organized and more opportunities i find it surprising yeah well chess in america was uh, was not too much developed until Rex Sinkerfield started to organize all the all of these events. I think I went to the Marshall Chess Club, but it could be that I'm confusing uh, the name of the chess club. I was in New York once for a few days, and I played one Blitz tournament. One it was one Saturday or one Sunday. I don't know. I played one of these tournaments, uh, and I think 
I mean, this this name, Marshall Chess Club, sounds familiar to me. So it was maybe there. You definitely should go if you haven't been. It's a it's a lovely place. I really miss it. But uh, there was also the Manhattan Chess Club. It closed down though. I think like a couple of years back. Uh, that was the kind of the rival. Now it's just Marshall in terms of like real you know prominent chess clubs. Um, but yeah, we have like Charlotte is becoming a thing. Chicago right now is having the the, the Chicago Open or whatever. That's become a kind of a big tournament. We have the World Open every year. So we, we have some stuff, yeah. but it's it's not really yeah, the, like... The World Open has always been there, but that was, yeah. The rest is... The rest is pretty small, I mean. Yeah. Compared to what St. Louis is doing. Yeah, I know you've been... You're the managing editor for, for uh, Thinkers Publishing. And uh, I know you have a Chessable course. This podcast is sponsored by Chessable. And something I wanted to ask you about kind of the publishing scene today is, uh, you know, what does like the chess publishing industry look like now that people like buy courses on Chessable? I mean, there are still many people who like to have a chess books in their hand, so a chess book in their hand. So, uh, I mean, it's true that a few people, uh, especially the new generation, will not buy chess physical chess books. They will just buy a course. Um, on the other hand, there are more and more people playing chess, so that that compensates. You know, maybe there is a smaller percentage of people buying chess books, but actually, uh, the ma- the market is not uh, is not doing bad. Uh, it's never been a huge market, of course, uh, the book publishing market, but it's it's still doing okay despite all all of these new things online, um, especially. I mean, we will see. I mean, the old generation still prefers to have a chess book. So we will see how, it, how the situation will be in 20, 30 years. But, but I don't think um, I don't think the chess book market will will crash. And about videos, of course, it's a very nice new tool, and uh, Chaseable brought it to another level. Uh, just uh, just creating simply better cottons than everyone, basically, with special features and uh, and top authors. I mean, but I mean, now there's, it's, I mean, now it's a big market. It's probably a little uh, easier for you too, right? Because you're in Barcelona, so when you, you did you, I know you did video for your course, like it was uh, like the English breakfast, I think you called it. Yeah. Did you go yeah. just to their studio and record it in their... Like, no, actually room? I did it at home. Uh, I visited their studio and we completed. I, I was in time trouble. Actually, they were very patient with me because I was late delivering my car, my course. And uh, okay, at some point it was really time to deliver, um, but I only had like uh, ten days left before my uh, trip to Saint Louis, and uh, it turned out that the stu- their studio was quite busy. And okay, of course, people are working only at during working hours so it was much better to do the setup at home and then i could i can i mean now i have this uh, professional light and so on so if i want i can record at four four o'clock in the in the morning um and that was pretty useful because i was in time trouble and just before just before going to take just before taking my flight to sandwich like three hours before i was still uh working on my videos, I was finishing like the last few minutes. Uh, I was really in time trouble. <laughs> you got it done though. Sorry? 
No, you got it done though in the end. I got it oh, down, yeah. That's all I got it down and people seem to like it, so that's that's cool. Yeah, I don't remember I was just in Oslo at that the good night club again. I don't know if you've ever been there, but um yeah, I will say, you know, even though as everyone knows, I love the I love chessboard courses. I have bought a ton. I, I study with them. I'm a big fan. Uh, shout out chessboard, by the way. Um, yeah, I was at this pub and I, you know, I, I'm buying my beers in Oslo and I'm just, they have these chess books on the shelf and it, it was, I don't know, it's, it's very nice to just hold the physical chess book sometimes and, and, you know, study through that too and go through games that way. I think that's also a very special and kind of sacred experience that you can't really do well, as much. It's also sometimes a better way to, well, it could simply be that it's a better way to study chess. It's simply so handy to have everything on your computer rather than carrying chess books with you. But there is nothing as good as having a, as opening a chess book, having a chess set, and just playing the moves. And then then you remember things much easier than with any any tool, any any video, and so on. Uh, but of course, uh, the, of course, the digital uh, digital material is so. I mean, it's so handy when you travel and so on. You just carry everything with you. It's just uh... there is something true to that, though. Like the physical muscle memory of of playing, let's like, say, learning an opening. Because I've been like, if I'm doing opening prep, let's say, uh, and uh, I play against my friend in Copenhagen, like if I hadn't like done it with my real board, it's much more likely that I will just forget. Then it would sometimes when I like, for example, there's this, I have this uh, a non-files book where they have this whole line of uh, this like uh, Nimzo Indian, F3 Nimzo Indian with like a early C4. And I have actually, I've studied that whole line. So I, I know exactly how it goes. And, and like uh, I've, I've whipped it out on my, my friend recently. Um, and, uh, but it's only because I've actually gone through it with a, with a board. Like when I went through it on, on Lee Chess couple, I put it all whole thing on like a Lee Chess study and I couldn't remember the lines. But just going through it a couple of times on, on my like on my real board, you know, that's uh, way better. You mean you remember better? Yeah, I rem remember much better. Like, yeah, it's like the literal physical muscle memory, like for playing over the yeah. board games. Like exactly, it's a real yeah. thing. It's like a real thing. Exactly. Yeah. That's like a whole dimension of chess that if you only play online, you don't like realize like the actual like you can like close your eyes and like like know how far like you're supposed to move a piece in the opening even sometimes like automatically. It's so weird. Well, I mean, it's just a new generation. I mean, obviously, somebody like Carlsen would now completely destroy somebody like Fisher because uh, Fish, some, Fisher would not survive the opening simply. He would... Uh, no, probably not even with the white pieces. It would just not not survive the opening. And there are so many new ideas and uh, even middle game ideas that are brought by by the computer. You can't compare chess now compared to uh, uh, fifty or more uh, years ago. But regarding pure chess understanding, it could be that uh, the chess understanding of uh, the old generation. Uh, was was better because they were studying by them by themselves. Now, it's very usual that uh, somebody even very strong plays his preparation till move twenty. Then on move twenty one, the opponent makes a mistake, but this mistake is not in the file, and immediately the player uh, the opponent collapses because he doesn't know the position anymore. 
uh, simply because he knows what to do against the best moves because he knows the computer line. But uh, once you deviate, you see that uh, even even a strong grandmaster can be can simply have no understanding of the position. That's impact. That's the negative impact of chess engines. Yeah, and, and you know, in those kinds of positions, you uh, you kind of need to rely on your uh, your calculation. And you would know a lot about calculation because you have written some landmark books on. Uh, Right, you you wrote you wrote a book. I think it was what chess calculation is called. Yeah, I wrote four books: uh, chess calculation training three, which are for uh, let's say average to advanced level, and uh, one which is for kids and amateur players. Uh, it's a new collection, uh, so it's yeah, it's called chess calculation training, and it's what well, I'm trying to. I mean, I've been trying to. Because there are so many, I mean, now you can train on, on tactics um, everywhere and for free and so on. So I wanted to bring to to really bring something that does not exist, and uh, I, I think I succeeded. I mean, I mean, my goal was to really make it as close as possible to the situation in a chess game, because of course uh, puzzles you don't have, you know that there is a win to find but during a chess game there is nobody to hit your shoulder and say hey man here you have a win you know so i've tried to make my chess books uh i mean as close as the situation you have in a chess game like i give a series of moves and you have to find the pro you have to find the mistake in that series of moves or uh, choose between this and that move because and then of course there are tricks uh, to see in uh, in every line uh, also some uh, positional exercises some defensive exercises um, i mean i've tried to do something that does not exist although it's difficult on calculation because there is a lot of material um, but yeah i wanted to do something that is different from usual uh, puzzle rush or things like uh, like that where you just uh, you train your brain, you train on your calculation, like any sportsman would train on, would go to the gym to train to, to get uh, stronger muscles, but uh, you don't really improve your chest. And uh, with my calculation training books, I think you also improve your chest. Now, when you when you say like intermediate to advanced players, is there a FIDE, let's say, rating range you have it in mind when writing this, or just more of a self-diagnosed? Well, um, the, the new collection, which has only one volume for now, which is for kid and amateur players, I would say that it is okay up to up to sixteen hundred, and uh, the other one uh, from sixteen hundred as a big minimum, I would say. Because you know, there's this like famous Ogard book on calculation that you know I <laughs> I bought that book probably you know it's called Grandmaster Preparation, and I had no business buying that book probably. <laughs> And it is, uh, it, it was torture. I mean, I was spending half an hour on a position, you know, do a whole chapter. Okay, well, Grandmaster preparation for quality chess is, uh, I mean, it's on top of, it's it's like, it's on the top of all of the books. So uh, it's uh, it's more like a brand than, than something else. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, how, I don't have the book. I don't know how difficult it is. Um, I was told, of course, that my calculation training series was difficult. That's why I decided to also make one for low-rated players. Although I don't think that, like, that's... Um, 
because I really only started playing classical chess this year from playing basically rapid. I've been playing chess for like, what, four years now, and I've only played rapid and blitz online. And that's calculation is by far the hardest thing, like, like even knowing yeah. when to calculate or how to calculate. And I think you said it really well, like you, you're never being tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, you have a win here. And it feels horrible to miss those wins. And it also feels horrible to miss your opponent's wins. And, and like, it's hard to really develop cal real calculation as a skill, not just, you know, finding a plan, trying to execute. That's, like, well, I mean, that's a goal in my books to try to teach how to, how to feel the key moments in the game. That's okay. what I tried to, to implement in my, in my chess books on calculation. Have you ever worked as a, uh, as like a trainer or a coach? Yes, I've been a second of Topolov uh, from 2010 to till 2014. I even wrote a book on this, which is called My Magic Years with Topolov. Look, I have a copy just here. Uh, okay, that's a Spanish version though, but because uh, uh, it's been translated from Spanish to from English to Spanish, the original version is in English, of course. And uh, I'm telling about these four years. I mean, how we met and... Uh, you were a second with him I, during the non-match? No, I was no. second with him after that. Started uh, right after the match, actually. I like, see. And of 2010, we met for the first time in Spain, in Salamanca. And we had a training session for uh, seven, ten days. I can't remember. And okay, then he just uh, asked me to, to come back. And we started to work very regularly. Then after a few months, he asked me to he asked me to come with him to tournaments, and uh, it was very it was a fantastic experience because he's because he's also a very nice guy. Um, he's not like uh, many top players who believe that uh, their seconds are like slaves, you know. Uh, he really treats people uh, very well. He's also, I mean, if he loses a game, he's not going to. Uh, sort of accuse his team of uh, doing a bad job and, and a bad job and so on. He will just, uh, if you made a mistake, he will just say, "Okay, I'm an idiot. I should have played this." And uh, okay, let's have uh, let's have a dinner now. And, uh, and that's it. He's a very easygoing person. And uh, I mean, still today we are good friends. I mean, we are we are talking on like almost weekly basis. So just a very nice guy and fantastic experience. Also, during that period, I mean, uh, you won uh, Dubai Open in 2014. Was that, I guess, assume that was around during the same time you were working? You played the. Uh, Actually, I won Dubai Open like uh, one month after we stopped working with Topolov. We stopped working. Um, I don't think, well, I hope, <laughs> I hope we didn't stop, stop working because he was unhappy with me, but he, was, he told me clearly from the start that he was playing his, his, his last FIDE cycle. Uh, trying to qualify for candidates and trying to win them. Um, and that, okay, if he wins them, then of course he's going to play the match and so on. But that if he doesn't win them, that will be his last cycle. And then he will uh, just retire from professional chess. So it was kind of clear from the start that after candidates, uh, he would stop. And uh, I mean, he still plays from time to time, but uh, he is not really a professional anymore. And uh, well, candidates were played like in March or April or something, and uh, and I won. And end of April, I won in Dubai, yeah, which yes. is 
very much related. I mean, I improved so much working with Topalov. That That's really what I wanted to ask about, like, like how did, like, how that transferred into your own play? Because you also were playing uh, in the Chess Olympiads and the European Team Championships. So, so yeah, I think it's it's really cool. I really I asked this question just because I guess I was wondering, like, how do you go from training one of the best players in the world to writing, you know, books that are really meant for the, you know, average chess club? Hatzer or you know somebody who's just trying to get better at the game like are the principles no, the okay same? these are these are different jobs about how it impacts your chess it really depends on whom you're working with because I know players who were unable to play themselves when they're working for somebody uh, just because they were being completely brainwashed and they had to work and on um, uh, very silly things and um uh, when they had an idea, they didn't have any right to play it because uh, the novelty belonged was belonging to to the player and so on. Um, but Topalov was not like this. I mean, the first day we met, he gave me a database with like 400 end games. Uh, he said, "Okay, look, these are end games that are not very well known, with few pieces on the board." And uh, it's just written, this is draw, this is winning, this is draw. Very, very interesting positions, like some very unknown fortress with few pieces on the board and so on. He just gave it to me like this. And he said, uh, when you're in the plane, when you have nothing to do, you just recheck it, just not to forget. And you will see that uh, one day or another, that will make you, you will win half a point thanks to that. Um, It was, I mean, he also immediately told me, okay, look, you are here, of course, to work from me but if you also want to study something with me i'm very happy to i'm very happy to help you i mean he was very generous on all aspects i mean if he could help me improve if he, if he could share something with me um of course he also had i mean let's say we when we prepared for candidates when, when or for grand prix when the, when we had a novelty it was clear that I was not going to play it three days before. I mean, we were going to keep it for the tournament. But once the tournament was done, um, I could basically play everything. I didn't really. I, I had I had very few restrictions, and uh, it was hard work. I mean, I spent I was, most of the time, especially during tournaments, I was working all night, like every second. Uh, but it's so much easier when uh, you work with a very easy easygoing person. Um, who is not torturing you with uh, <laughs> with everything, basically. I think it's also um, Topalov. I'm no chess historian, but I think people kind of forget how amazingly strong he was at the peak of his powers in chess. Yeah, it's still. I mean, his style didn't change, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think his match with Kremnik uh, in 2006 in the when there was this toilet gate. Toilet gate, thing, yeah. Uh, I think that simply destroyed him a little bit psychologically. So, of course, he was one of the best players in the world. Uh, obviously, he remained uh, like a very, very, very top grandmaster. Uh, but it could be that it had an impact on his, uh, his chess in general because... Um, even four, four and a half years later, when I met him, after two, three, three days, we had, we were having walks and, and so on, discussing everything in life and so on. So at some point, I thought, okay, I can, let me let me ask about the match, uh, because first I did not dare. It was a diff- uh, difficult subject to speak about, and even 
four, even four years later, he was still completely traumatized. Like uh, he was entirely sure that uh, things went uh, unfair, and he was extremely traumatized by all, all, all of the story. And uh, that could, I think, that had a big that had a big negative impact on on, on his chest, unfortunately. But uh, still today, I mean, his playing style is the same. I mean, go H4, G4, sacrifice something and see how the opponent reacts. He's still, he's still the same guy, just a little bit, uh, a little bit, not as strong as before, but still the same kind of player. And he, even in the, in the non-match, I think he was one loss away from being world champion. Like he was, he was so well, close. Well, I mean, all matches they were close. Uh, um, yeah. Well, not not last year. <laughs> no, not no. I mean, all all of all all matches double of played. Yeah. No, against against Anand, he lost. Uh, the match was five and half, five and half, and he lost the last round with White. Um, but okay, when I asked him because the position was a draw, and uh, he he pushed and pushed and pushed in a way that it was clear that he could only lose trying to play this way. Uh, and I mean, it was at least extremely risky. I mean, the risk to lose compared to the chances to win were uh, definitely much higher. And I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, okay, simply because Anon is much, much, much stronger than stronger than me at Rapid. And I don't want to play a Rapid tiebreak with him. So he said, I wanted the match to be decided today. And that's the reason why he lost... Uh, uh, oh, so it's it resp it's respectable. Fun. Yeah, it's a respectable way to to, to do it, right? Also, to well, it was just it was just objective. He always said that he's not very good at rapid and blitz. He has always said it, and he said, "Anand is very good at rapid and blitz." I, I don't think my chances are high if we play a tiebreak. So the match will be decided today, and if I lose, I lose. Have you been speaking of you know Anand being good at rapid and blitz? Have you been following his recent uh, blitz carnage at all? Uh, just briefly. Uh, he at the yeah, impressive yeah. yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> impressive, impressive. Yeah. Thirty what was at one point thirty four hundred performance rating in the last uh, blitz tournament he played at some point. Isn't that's just yeah, really impressive. Yeah. We we talk about what the the young uh, young Indian talent, and then it's like the old guy is just like destroying like. Yeah, the old guy is still there as well. Yeah. Yeah, he is Father Time. Father Time, uh, yeah, is scared of him. Yeah, it's interesting though. It's really, it's really uh, that, that's like the I think one other dimension of chess. I had the author of this Anand Files um, on my uh, on my podcast a while ago. Uh, and he's he's a very nice guy, and and it's a really good book. It's really one of the, my favorite chess books because it's not really a chess book; it's really like a history book. So this is about yeah. his, Anand's three world championships. That's why I asked yeah. if you were Anand, if you were like uh, Topalov second, because I didn't remember you being in no. this book. Yeah, so that's just why I wanted to check. Um, but yeah, I mean, we like I don't know. I think one big thing that we don't have as a chess community so much like new players like I think that there's so much history to the game and so much of this stuff like this, these stories that you tell me are, are like a like about you know the behind the scenes of the world championship and stuff like that 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 like makes my week to just kind of know because I feel like unlike a sport like tennis or F1 or basketball that you know a lot of people watch and uh, you know also have these, all these big personalities like these people like in chess are not so far removed from 
like like you know like like the you know the, the between Tapalov and and me is just you and you're on my podcast let's say like i think that it's just so cool how how small the chess community is in a way and yet how like how big these stories are and how you know how how important these matches are like for the history of the game and stuff like that so yeah cuz really these world championship matches i mean as as i'm sure you can speak to a little bit like when you do prep for the candidates and stuff like that you see these amazing novelties that just like can really change chess and the way people perceive certain openings and, and positions and, and players so uh i i don't know I, these kind of stories make my day <laughs> yeah okay you need to yeah yeah i mean maybe i'm just a I'm like a nerd chess nerd but oh well <laughs> you need a stop a lot for saying uh at some point, at some, I mean, w- one of the tournaments, I mean, actually the first tournament uh, I went with him, he scored like minus three or something. It, I think it was in Vike and he scored horribly, won one game, lost four and all the rest were, were drawn. Uh, but you, but he had good, he had good positions out of every opening, <laughs> like even sometimes very, very good positions. And, uh, most of uh, top players, they would just say, okay, this guy, I don't know, he brings bad luck or whatever. Uh, and they would they would just pick someone else next tournament. But Topolov just told me, okay, you did a fantastic job. But uh, the, the truth is that uh, good novelties, if, uh, if I'm unable to play chess after that, uh, are not useful at all. <laughs> this is what he said. <laughs> So you wrote about this uh, these these four years and this magic years that's evolved, right? Yeah. And uh, like, what's what are some of the? Is it mostly talking about games and, and ideas that you worked with him? Yeah, game ideas. I even show some ideas that uh, I think. I, yeah, I show some ideas that uh, we didn't have a chance to to play. But uh, I even show some games that uh, well, just two of them. But two games that I won later. For example, I beat Karpov using a double pawn sacrifice that we found with Topalov. Um, okay, I'm, I'm telling stories and uh, uh, like inside stuff and uh, analyzing the, the most interesting games and novelties and so on, saying some uh, fun stories. Like, for example, I was supposed to travel with him to the candidate in uh, Hantimansisk uh, in 2014, and uh, it happened that organizers sent me uh, an invitation letter full of mistakes. So when I went to the consulate, they just told me, okay, to just to go away, we won't give you a visa. So then it was too late, and I couldn't make it to Hantimantisk. And Topolov was telling me, I know you did it on purpose because nobody wants to go to Hantimantisk. <laughs> but then I was working from home, came some stories like this. That's funny. Around the book, in between the games. Now, do you still coach actively? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I started, uh, when COVID started, I started, I started to, to teach to more, uh, more kids and people in general. I mean, there were not so many tournaments. I was home. I'm a professional, so I have to earn my life as well. So, and I like, and I like coaching, so... Yeah, you could you could teach some uh, you know some brand new people to the game some some novelties from the Tapalov days. 
Well, or <laughs> anything, anything else. I mean, defense. I mean, when I teach yeah. to kids, they don't need double of novelties. No. But okay, I have some. Uh, I I do train some players who are close to grandmaster level, and uh, is it in Spain? One, or all one over of the world? my one, not in the world. Well, I, I don't think I even have a single student in in Spain. Um, yeah, now I have one student who won a game playing a Topolov, something that which a novelty which I had for for Topolov. Um, just uh, just one in fifteen moves with black with some trick where the opponent attacks a queen, but in fact you just leave it and and you win the game. Uh, but okay, I mean happened maybe it happened all the times so I don't remember, but okay. Yeah. Most of my students are not of, are not uh, that strong, so they don't need a couple of novelties. They need something. I mean, maybe in a few years. I hope in a few years they will need them. But uh, guess step by step. Step by step, exactly. Um, last thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, as uh, my listeners know, Sixty Four Chess Podcast is sponsored by Chessable. You are a Chessable author, so yeah. I think if you could uh, talk a little bit more about this course uh, that you wrote. Yeah, so it's a course. Uh, to play against one c4 so as black uh, i suggest to play one e5 i'm suggesting my repertoire which is to go um, knight f6 and c6 whenever possible um and again against the main variation the four knight variations like c4 e5 knight c3 knight f6 knight f3 knight c6 g3 then d5 and i just go for the main lines and uh I wanted to do this course. Okay, first of all, I have to be honest that okay, there are already many very good courses on openings that I play, and I would have loved to do courses on them, but okay, they were already existing. So I had to find something, but I thought something against one C4 is perfect for me because it's one of the it's one of the things I know best. And during the uh, when working on the course, I used a I used the cloud engine, so basically the best cloud, the best chess engines you can find in the world. And uh, you know that you can run, you just pay by the minute. Um, I used uh, I used that to improve my repertoire and I actually found many new ideas. And I think, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm just happy with, with the result of the course because I was already happy with my repertoire and I actually improved it a lot. Um, that will be even useful to myself. But I think uh, then it was also about uh, how would I manage to explain it, it the way I want to people, but I got very positive reviews on that. I mean, people are saying that uh, that it is worth buying the video because I do explain things very well and so on. So okay, I don't know, maybe some other will say, other will say the contrary, I don't know. But so far the reviews are good and uh, I'm happy with my work. So, and it's a very sharp repertoire. I mean, there are many novelties and uh, many sharp positions uh, where you can win with black. Sometimes I also give a choice. You can play like this if you want to play solid, play like this if you want to play sharp. I mean, I'm I'm happy with my stuff, but uh, and so far people are happy as well. But okay, it's not like there are millions of reviews because it's a new course. So we will see. Maybe maybe at the end of the day people will not like it. But I hope I hope that won't happen. <laughs>
Um, yeah, so the English Breakfast, uh, Roman Edwards' repertoire against 1C4 on sale on Chessable. Go check that out. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I know we were you, we had some we had some difficulties organizing this, and uh, but I'm glad that we made it work. It's a pleasure. Um, where can we buy your books? Um, you can go to syncastpublishing.com, but you can pro- you can find most of them on Amazon or uh, other websites. Um, I suggest to go to syncastpublishing.com because. Uh, if you, I, I think I think there is there, are, there is no shipping if you buy at least two books, and very often there are discounts. So I think the best the best thing to do is to buy on the antinkaspublishing.com, including if you live in the US. Mm-hmm. It's also free shipping, like from fifty euros or something like this. So uh, uh, fifty euros or fifty dollars, I don't know. But okay, the books you can find anywhere. I mean, like every chess book. I mean, wholesalers are just uh, buying from us uh, some copies and they sell themselves. In any case, I will have the links uh, to Thinkers Publishing below. And your Amazon author, I'll look for that. I'll put it below. Um, Yeah, follow us on Twitter at 64podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a review. Helps a lot with the algorithm. And I want to thank you guys all for listening to this episode of C4 Chess Podcast. And I will see you guys in two weeks, probably, because I'm actually about to go to uh, to London on Sunday. I'm doing a little bit of a European trip. So I guess all the episodes that are going to come out after this one are going to all be pre, pre-set <laughs> to, to release. Okay, know. thank you for inviting me, David. Of course. David. Yeah. It was so, a pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. Take it easy.